mind that the Lord of all the earth would care to know my name, would care to feel my hurt. Who am I? Welcome to Who Am I? with Pastor Greg Tyra of Harvest Chapel in Williamsport, Indiana. We're glad you could join us as we teach through the Bible, chapter by chapter, verse by verse. Today's lesson is one in which we know you'll be enlightened to the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let's listen in to Pastor Greg as we launch today's lesson on Who Am I? Turn in your Bibles with me to Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1, as we look at the Christmas story or the Christmas testimony, the true reason for the season, as they say, we're looking at the greatest gift ever given, the greatest gift ever given, the Son of God, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Now, last week, we looked at verses 1 to uh, 25, and we looked at the announcement of the birth of John that hasn't been completely fulfilled yet but as we close we realize that we're five months in if you looked at this in uh, verse um, 24 124 Elizabeth conceived and then what did she do she hid herself for five months and it's interesting because when we want to talk about her conceiving, now obviously she's bearing a physical baby that's going to be a prophet of the highest, that's going to give testimony of Jesus. He makes straight the way of the Lord. And, and as we go through this, you'll see that John the Baptist, uh, th that he's the type of what we should be doing. But she conceives and then hides herself. And I always liken it to like the honeymoon period when somebody gets saved. They come to Christ and then there's just little period where he kind of hides you in the beloved and, and, and you're learning and you're growing. But then you have to come out and investigate. You have to desire the pure milk of the word and begin to, to learn and to grow. And so we're going to see that, that this begins to happen in the life of Elizabeth. Of course, we talked about it last week. What does Elizabeth mean? Anybody remember? His oath. Zach means God remembers. Listen, because this is important. I think it's very important as you see God remembers his oath, right? The Lord is gracious. John, Jonathan, the Lord is gracious. Gabriel means a strong man of God or warrior of God. Joseph means he will add or let him add. Mary, their rebellion to who? Jesus, the Lord, is salvation. God is our salvation. And it's important to know that the names mean something. The names will tell the gospel to us if we search it out and look for it. And that's why I keep asking, like earlier, I said, what does Daniel mean? <clears throat> You know, what does this mean? We need to learn these. I, I'm not telling you you need to know the definitions of all the names in the Bible for salvation. We believe and we're saved. 
But if we are saved, we begin to investigate and unwrap the greatest gift ever given and search it out. And we have things that are, that are available that no other generation has had. And what we do is we start going every place else instead of building our relationship with God, allowing him to bear fruit in our life. And we think, listen, we think that it's going to get better apart from God. Do you know that there's no way that it can get anything but worse apart from God? The reason he's opened our eyes, the reason he's, he clearly told us that he gave us this great gift is so that things can be better. We can become joint heirs. We can enjoy and be privileged and have fellowship with him. We can have peace with him, and we don't have to fear anything anybody else is doing. Listen, there, there should be no fear. God's perfect love casts out all fear. And yet the people of God are afraid because we don't have a relationship with God. We don't understand our identity in Christ. We don't understand what he's done for us in this greatest gift ever given. And so we're still afraid. We're still ashamed. We still walk around with guilt when we should be resting in the beloved and bearing fruit some 60, some 30, some 100-fold. Got them numbers a little twisted around, huh? Dyslexic there a little bit. So she hid herself for five months. She was concerned. She didn't know what was going on. Think about it. First, she's barren, no fruit. And in the culture, they taught that you were cursed. If you had no fruit, and all of us are under a curse before we come to Christ and he conceives in, our, in us and begins to bear fruit. So she's barren. And now she's elderly in age and it's even embarrassing that she come, she, she come to have a baby. So now she's feeling embarrassed about her condition instead of understanding that she's been set free. She's going to give birth to fruit that's going to be the forerunner of Jesus, the grace of God. So when God remembers his oath, it births grace. God remembers his promise, and he gives birth to grace in your life. It's pretty amazing. The fruit of God's promise is the grace of God. So we talked last week, and I want to put this into perspective and understand that because sometimes we feel like, well, I'm less than that. I'm not the same as that. I am cursed to that. And that works for you, Greg, but it doesn't work for me. But every single one of us have the self-same spirit as Elijah we talked about last week. The self-same spirit. Elijah was born in sin. We're born in sin. We're all confined under sin. And then God brings salvation. He's the one that gives us our position. He's the one that gives us our place. He's the one that gives us the greatest gift ever given. And we receive his righteousness. We're not walking in anybody else's righteousness. You're, no matter how much work you do, no matter how much you say, no matter how much witnessing, how much reading, no matter how much anything, you don't get any better with God. Isn't that interesting? Because you're already positionally there. But practically, you're learning to be the fruit that he's already given you. See, when the Holy Spirit comes and enters into your heart, enter into, enters into your life, perfect, pure, holy, tried God is in your life. He's in your heart. He's in the middle of you. 
But now you have to surrender to him and to begin to investigate and search that out and let him grow that fruit in your character, in your practical walk. And if you continue to resist him, it won't end well. Resisting God, he'll take your hip out of socket because he's going to complete the work he started in you until the day of Christ Jesus. So are you getting into the word? You're supposed to, like newborn babes, desire the pure milk of the word. But listen, you don't stay on the milk. Look around us. You see any animals that stay on the milk? Think about it. It's, it's serious. This is what the devil has done to the human race. To those who are supposed to go to the milk of the word and then move to meat just like a child. We're supposed to grow up. We're not supposed to continue to, to need the milk of the word. We should learn the milk of the word. We should know the elementary principles. We should be able to share that milk with others as children. You know, because think about it. If you did it in the natural and it was the physical and you was looking at somebody and you're 30 years old and you're walking around and you're doing all kinds of stuff and you look over at somebody else that's 30 years old and they're not even walking yet, wouldn't you be able to tell them, oh, dude, you need to be like standing up and gaining some muscles and like putting one foot in front of the other. You're still living in grandma's basement. What in the heck you doing? You'd be able to tell them in the physical sense that they were not growing and there's something bad wrong. Your growth is stunted. But in this Christian realm, we don't even think about it. But that's exactly the analogy that God will use. When you move to milk, now you're learning the baby things, the simple things, and you're supposed to believe them, trust them, let them conceive and bear fruit in your life, and you get up and you move to meat, and you begin to go out and serve. The meat is the service. The meat is the character. The meat is doing the work of the ministry, not continuing to be deceived all of your life and say, I'm okay, I said a prayer. You're still at the starting line. And in many ways, we are a lot of times still at the starting line because we're still doing what we want to do in the physical, and we're no longer physical. We're spiritual now. We're no longer our own. We're citizens in heaven. We're no longer. We've been bought by the blood of Christ. And we're underneath a new family if we'll investigate this. So... We see Elizabeth have a hard time setting down. I'm, I'm squirming. We see Elizabeth um, hiding herself. Are you hiding still? Are you going to come out? Are you still hiding? Now, there's nothing wrong with hiding in the beloved. There's nothing wrong with being hidden in Christ because that's our life. When he appears, we will appear. But we can be hidden in him. But then that means that his spirit wants to live through you and go out and bear fruit in you of the character and the nature and the image of God. And what is God on the planet doing? The ministry of reconciliation. He's here so that we would become witnesses of his great love to begin to do and to teach others how to live, what a child of God looks like, what the family of God is, and the intimacy that you can have so we're going to continue now with our um, Christmas 
testimony. Listen to me. We know Jesus wasn't born on the 25th. But it's a time of year where we can have a platform to share Jesus. Because a lot of people that are trapped in Babylon, confusion, they will listen. And the word of God will not return void. Went to a Christmas play last night and it was total chaos of Babylon. Trying to put Santa Claus and Jesus on the same stage does not work. It will end in death. And that's what most Christians do in their life. They want to have the gift of receiving, and all they want to do is get, 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 but they don't want to give themselves away. And if you don't give yourself away and, and deny self and take up your cross daily and follow Christ, you cannot bear the fruit of Christ. He gave himself away. The, the, the greatest gift ever given is where we get the example of giving ourselves away. Now we have become the light of the world. And if we're dead to self, he's going to fill us with his spirit and send us out to give him away. To give out the witness and the testimony of Christ. You know, we were wrapped in flesh. That's what we're wrapped in. And Christ became like us. He wrapped himself in flesh. And he came down and became an example for us obedient in everything, even to the point of death on a cross. And then he decorated that first tree when they nailed him to a tree. And the light of the world hung on a tree. The greatest gift ever given. That's the example. He died so that you and I could have life. He died so we would clearly see that there's nothing good in our flesh. And we need to take the flesh off and be wrapped in his love. We need to take the flesh off and be wrapped up in him. His will, his word, his way. And his will is, is that none would perish, but all would come to repentance. And so it begins with a messenger, a prophet of the highest, John the Baptist, the grace of God. John the baptizer, I should say. Because some people take that and then they turn it into their church name and they think they're more special because their name is in the Bible. It has nothing to do with salvation. So witnesses. Witnesses. And then we're going to see now the announcement of Christ. Verse 26, 126 of Luke. Dr. Luke doing an autopatia, an autopsy of the Things that happen exactly the way God said they would happen. Listen, the devil cannot stop anything from happening exactly the way that God said it was going to happen. And neither can you and I. We've been privileged to have the Spirit of God come in us. Privileged to have an inheritance. Privileged to have gifts and talents and abilities. Privileged if we did come to Christ that our eyes are now open to see the newness of life. And we're privileged to be able to go and live for Christ. Now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. And having come in, 
The angel said to her, Rejoice, highly favored one. The Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. But when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying and considered what manner of greeting this was. Then the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son and shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the son of the highest. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. Then Mary said to the angel, How can this be since I do not know a man? And the angel answered and said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the highest will overshadow you. Therefore also that Holy One who is to be born will be called the Son of God. Now indeed, Elizabeth, your relative, also has conceived a son in her, whole, in her old age. And this is now the sixth month for her who was called barren. For with God nothing will be impossible. Then Mary said, Behold, the maidservant of the Lord, let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Let's pray. Father, may that be our heart to go and sin no more. May that be our heart. Behold, the maidservant of the Lord. May it be according to your word in my life. May it be done to me according to your word. Is that your heart this morning, Lord, for us to surrender to your word? Give us that desire, Lord. Pour out your spirit upon us and help us to understand this great mystery of the gospel that you've given us and to go out and tell somebody else. In Jesus' name, amen. Again, 126. We see it's the sixth month, and of course we're told in the commentary that it's the sixth month of her who was barren over in verse uh, 36. So we know that that's what they're talking about, not the sixth month on the calendar, but the sixth month of her conception of John, the grace of God. And so we know that about three months, John's going to be born. We're going to see that next week, God willing, um, when we see... Uh, the Magnificat, and then his birth. So the sixth month, and the sixth is always the number of man. I always am interested when I see six, because that's the number of man. The angel Gabriel, warrior of God or strong man of God, was sent. See, he just appeared last time, but we know he was sent to Zacharias because God's oath he remembered his oath he was sent one sent forth i'm looking for my words i'm sorry i would rather be moving around but i think that it's become distracting to certain people and i've decided to set down sent means to be set apart to send out on a mission apostello i believe is the word one sent forth and gabriel was sent from the throne room of god and set apart to give this message in Galilee. And it's the city, the polis. Polis is the Greek word of Galilee, which means the heathen circle. Isn't that an interesting place to go? See, we all live in the heathen circle. 
that we're all cursed. We're all unrighteous. And it's, it's a city named Nazareth, which means the guarded one. The guarded one. And who's he sent to? Verse 27. To a virgin betrothed to a man whose name is Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. I think if you read over in Matthew, you find out that Mary's from the house of David also. She's also from the same lineage. Um, so a virgin, it's a maiden, but it implies an unmarried daughter. An unmarried daughter. And it's espoused, betrothed is espoused. We have engagements we talk about today, but it's the same thing. And many times you'll hear that if somebody is engaged or, or betrothed to somebody in this culture, it's the same thing as being married. But listen to me, it's not consummated yet. The marriage is not consummated yet. And so we know that in the testimony of this, that there, when Joseph realizes she's with child, what happens? He was going to put her away secretly, quietly. Because this young girl who's between the ages probably of 13 to 16 is now going to be found pregnant. And in that culture, it, it would be considered adultery and she would be under the, again, death culture or death sentence where she would be stoned to death. But Joseph, we were told in another gospel, uh, uh, being a, a kind man was going to put her away secretly. And we see the grace of God was going to be given to her. And then an angel comes and uh, actually says, it's, this is of me, you know. And, and anyway, so listen, it's, a, it's a, the current position of you and I. It's the same position that she's in at this time. We are betrothed. I know we often talk about we are the church or the bride of Christ. But at this moment, we are actually just in a betrothal period. Because the marriage has not been consummated. So we have been engaged to Christ. We are betrothed. We are espoused to Christ. And so now we're supposed to be doing what? Taking the dowry money that is given when there's a betrothal. The father will come and he gives and he asks for the hand of the woman. And then he gives her dowry money. And she uses the down payment money to get prepared for the wedding supper. And at the wedding supper, after it is after the wedding supper, then the wedding is consummated. But if during that time of betrothal she commits adultery, then what happens? It was a sentence of death. That's what was called under the law. Aren't you glad we live under grace? Because I'm telling you now that we commit adultery in our practical, positionally, we are perfect. We have Christ's position of perfect righteousness. All of our sin has been paid for, but this time that we're living in now as the church, those who believe in Jesus, they've been given a down payment of what? The Holy Spirit, the one who comes alongside to help, <clears throat> the one who comes alongside to help and then comes and lives in you, and then he comes upon you with power so that you can begin to bear fruit and be wrapped in Christ. Be clothed in his righteousness. Practically preparing yourself for the wedding supper of the Lamb. For when you go to meet him. And thus you will be like him. 
So the heart is supposed to be to go and sin no more. The heart is supposed to be opening the package and being wrapped by the power of the Holy Spirit in Christ Jesus. Washed and cleansed and beginning to look like our position at the same time. Because really, practically, we're just engaged right now. You cannot show up to the wedding supper of the Lamb without a wedding garment. Listen to me. Do you remember the parable? How did he get in there? He doesn't have a garment on. And he was taken out of the crowd and cast out into outer darkness. You cannot stay at the beginning of the race and think you're going to finish the race. You cannot say a prayer one time and think that this is all going to be over. I'm good. And somebody will argue with me and say, well, the man on the cross did. <clears throat> the man on the cross did everything that he could do considering his situation. He changed his mind. He changed his words. And we see the evidence of his heart being changed. He began to speak to the other thief that was reviling Christ. So we see fruit happening in his life. We see that he spoke out even, out loud. He wasn't silent. He wasn't ashamed of the gospel. He woke up. It wasn't about his words, but what happened? It wasn't about his actions, but what happens is, is our actions reveal our hearts. As Jesus said, epigenosco, you can tell a tree by its fruit. And see, we want to be bearing fruits of repentance, fruits of righteousness. We begin to look like the position that we have. It's a practical walk with God that we are looking to go in the direction of going and sinning no more. Finding out that we're citizens in heaven. Finding out that all the riches of heaven have been opening to us and we're joint heirs with Christ. And the same thing that happens to Mary here happens to you and I. Oh, she's physically going to give birth to a son. But think about it. What happens in our relationship spiritually when we believe? What happens? The Holy Spirit comes into us. In is the same word that happened here. When she questions, listen, when she questions in a minute, how can that be? The Holy Spirit will come into you. It's the same thing. This is a physical actually happening but in the spiritual realm, as you and I walk in the physical, when we come to salvation, then the seed of Christ is planted in our hearts. And you and I are carrying Christ to the world. And we're nurturing and growing up in our womb, if you will, the Christ child. But he's a man now, coming back as judge. And we're supposed to be looking to be like our husbandmen. He's our covering. He's our head covering. Listen, he's my head covering. That's what he is. I don't need a head covering anymore. Christ is my head covering. He's my head and he's my covering because he paid for all of my sins. Is he your head covering today? Are you listening to him? Are you walking close behind him? Are you trusting him for life and godliness? Are you unwrapping the package? <clears throat>
the greatest gift ever given. To be betrothed means he gives you a souvenir, an engagement present. He gives us the Holy Spirit to seal us. Let's actually look at it. I want to look at it in a minute. Or right now. Uh, go to... Let's go to Ephesians. Chapter 1. Probably got a little bit ahead of myself. This is why I don't like to set down... It's, it's 1-3. When I set down, my notes are here. So I tend to look at them a little bit more instead of just standing up and getting away from them. But I want to learn to just sit here. I don't want to be the distraction. And I want you to see this. And yeah, I am ahead of myself, ain't I? One three. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. How much is every? I mean, do you need any more? Do you need to go find them? Do you need to, to line this with something else and make it faith-based? Or do you already have every spiritual blessing when you're in Christ? Do you need some program? Do you need something else? Or do you already have everything? It's your inheritance. Just as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy without blame, before him in love that's our position that's our place we're righteous we're holy because he is holy verse 5 having predestined us to adoption as sons or children it could be translated the same word by jesus christ that's the through that's how it's through jesus the christ the anointed one to himself, becoming to the God the Father, according to the good pleasure of his will. It's not according to anybody else's plan. It's his good will that you and I would come to repentance. And then when we do, we are adopted in to the family of God. See, we were born in the family of Adam, born into sin, born into unrighteousness. And our kinsman redeemer come down and took flesh wrapped himself in flesh so that we could be wrapped in him. He came down and died for us, our kinsman redeemer, and his father is a different father than ours. Listen to me. He's the son of the most high God, son of the highest. His father is the Holy Spirit, the father in heaven, same self-same God. And so now we have to be adopted in to the family. And when we're adopted in, we become heirs. We have every spiritual blessing through Christ. We're being adopted in to this family, actually through marriage. 
And it says in verse 6, to the praise of the glory of his grace, God's riches at Christ's expense, by which he made us accepted in the beloved. You're accepted by Christ. Listen, everyone has had their sins paid for. You're accepted by Christ. Now, why did I bring you here? Because back in our text, had I have read it like I meant to, the virgin, Mary, their rebellion... In verse 28, 128, And having come in, angel Gabriel said to her, Rejoice, highly favored one. The Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. Well, the only other place you find that statement in the Bible is right here. Has made us accepted in the beloved. It's the same statement. He hath made us accepted is the same statement as Highly favored one. It's the same word. It's the word. Um, it's related to the word charis. It's carito. Carito. It's the same word. He made you and I highly favored in Christ because of his good pleasure, because of his grace. That's what we're seeing there in verse 6. The number of man has this for man to the praise and glory of his grace by which he made us highly favored in the beloved, in Christ. And God is with us. We're in the same position in life that Mary was. Now you remember, Zach, Zach he did, he's freaked out, he's afraid when the angel comes, and he's old in age. And now we have somebody that's young in age, and you know what? She's not freaked out. Not the same way Zach was. Isn't that interesting? You would think it would be the opposite. That Zacharias, after walking years with God, would be expecting God to speak to him, would be expecting God to show up, would be expecting God to take care of him and answer his prayers. And it's the child, the young girl, that actually is not freaked out by that. And I'll get into that a little bit more here later, but I want to finish this. So you are highly favored just as Mary was. Why? Because... The problem that God is dealing with is their rebellion. The whole world's rebellion. Not just the nation of Israel, but all of us together. The rebellion that was birthed with the first Adam and Eve when they rebelled against God and they listened to another voice. He's dealing with their rebellion. And you might think, wow, because I, I mean, I grew up my whole life, even my Christian life, and did not know, I think, that since they've, they've, they've deified Mary, and they've made her co-redemptress, which is blasphemy. They've done all these things with Mary. You would think that her name would mean something else, but it actually represents your sin and my sin. It represents our rebellion against God, and he uses that rebellion to birth his grace in our lives and to tell us that we're highly favored because of who he is, not because of who we are. And yet we continue to live upside down when we sit around in our religion and we think because of what we do, we're now favored with God. We have grace with God that his face shines down upon us. That's what favor means. But really it's all because of who he is and his love, not us. 
And that's why it should set us free to see the privilege of being able to just believe. And he'll, he'll, he'll set us on the right path. He'll adopt us back into his family. He'll begin to prepare us for the wedding supper of the Lamb. And he will send us out with gifts and talents and ability that glorify him. And then he gives us the batteries included. The greatest gift ever given. And then his power, he comes and camps out in your heart and goes, Oh, please don't do that. Oh, yeah, let's do that. Let's do that. Please don't do that. That's going to harm you. That's going to hurt you. That's still your flesh. You're wrapping yourself back up in flesh. Oh, don't do that. Take the flesh off. Let's be wrapped in my love. Let's be wrapped in joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. You don't have to be afraid because I have overcome the world. And then my perfect love that you're being wrapped in will overcome the world. And they can't do nothing to you. Guess what? I get to open you as my gift in heaven. If you come to heaven, you get to be just like me. My bride that is learning that I'm her head covering. I'm her strength. I'm the one that gave my life up for her, Christ would say. And that's why we're told as husbands to be an example in our societies by loving our wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of the water through the word, through what God spoke and then put it in flesh and sent it down here to be an example for us. Why? That he might present her to himself. It's a present to himself. Go look at that word. It's spelled just like present. Present us to himself. A spotless and clean bride without wrinkle or any such thing. Man, have you ever seen me wrap gifts? You don't want me to wrap gifts. There's wrinkles and everything on them gifts. I can't wrap gifts. I'm done. And I consider myself an artist, and the hardest thing for me to do is wrap a gift. Because I'm also impatient, but I'm learning to get better at it. Listen. There's no wrinkle or any such thing in what God does. He's going to make us perfect in the beloved, positionally there. We're practically, all we got to do is trust him and keep growing. Well, how do you grow, Greg? With childlike faith, you trust him. Faith comes by hearing and hearing <coughs> by the word of God. You cannot grow your faith and go and do anything without the word of God. Well, Greg, they didn't have the word of God back then. They had the prophets that foretold what God was saying. Hebrews 1.1, in past times in divers manners, God spoke to the prophet. In these last days, he speaks to his son, who he's made heir of all things. Well, what did he do, Greg? He came and died, and now he gives us heirship with him. He, he makes us joint heirs with him. And we have everything. God living in us, on the inside that will help us unwrap ourselves if we'll just say, yes, Lord. He'll help us unwrap the flesh and die to self and see that man can't do anything to us. God's in perfect control. The devil is not the enemy. As my Bible study always said, and I love to quote Mike Abney, he would say he'd look in the mirror and he'd see the enemy and he'd look at him and say, no, no, no. I used to love that when he would do that. He'd get all excited. Listen to me. The only way to unwrap this gift and to grow in Christ is to realize who you are. You're in rebellion. You're a sinner. There's nothing righteous about you. 
You come to him and allow his spirit to be planted in you. And then you say, Lord, I have no means to grow by. I have no means to go by. I have no way to do this. And you humble yourself. And then he lifts you up. How does he lift you up? He begins to produce fruit in your life. But the more you ignore him, the more you say no, and the more you blame him and fall for the devil's tricks, the worse it's going to get. It doesn't get better ignoring God. It doesn't get better not unwrapping the gift. It doesn't get better. It only stays dead. Your relationship, your life, the relationships with other people, it's always dead. That's all sin produces is death. That's all flesh produces is death. It's not Running around and getting another job, getting another car, getting another house, getting another spouse. It's not the spouse. It's your contentment with God that's the problem. Is he enough? Is the Spirit of God enough? Is the Word of God enough? If they never did anything else, would you be okay? Have you unwrapped the gift? Stop blaming other people and causing it to be a physical fight when it's all about your spiritual plight. Are you going to do what this young girl did? Let it be done to me according to your word? Or continue to let it be done? However it happens, I just, whatever happens, I'm okay. I said a prayer. Wow. Why don't we act like that on Christmas morning? When we're lying to our kids and telling them Santa Claus brought you some gifts. Why when we unwrap it, don't we say... Wow, that's cool. That was a great gift. I have some gratitude for getting a gift. And I hate that gift. Why'd you get me that? It's the wrong color. Listen, why don't we act like that when we're just all giddy about giving gifts away to other people? If we understand that this is all about the spirit and man is a spirit, and this is all about eternal destiny, and the greatest gift ever given has been given to us, and we reject it, we don't unwrap it, we don't even ask it anything, we don't talk to the gift, we don't have a relationship with the gift, we don't have any intimacy with the gift, we leave the gift on a shelf and say, ah, if I get some time of my selfish self, I'll open that gift. I am not being mean, listen to me. I'm trying to be loving and kind and talk to an apostate church not you. I'm talking to the whole church at large. We have to open the gift because the batteries are included. It's already all done for us. There's nothing you need to do. When I'm telling you something about getting the word prayer and fellowship, it's because of the joy that should be in you, the gladness you should have, the desire you should have if the Spirit of God is in you. He's encouraging you to do that. So we look now and finish, and I'll get back to, look here, Ephesians 1, Paul writing to the church in Ephesus. He tells us that we're highly favored, just as Mary was. Listen, Mary is not above women. She is just like Elijah. She is just like you and me. We're all sinners that the Spirit of God comes into us and uses us for what God designed us for. And God has no, God doesn't have favorites. He's not a respecter of person. All of his creation he died for, and that all of his creation can choose 
to be used by him, privileged to be involved with him in his kingdom and prepared by him for his glory. Mary's no different. Elijah's no different. None of, the, none of the characters in the Bible are any different than the same testimony that you and I have. In fact, Abraham, his testimony is he believed God and it was accounted to him as righteousness. The question today is in your life, do you believe God? See, that was the whole theme of the world. Believe. We seen it last night at a Christmas play. Believe. And I don't want to be offensive to anybody, but if you believe what they're selling, you will go to hell. If you believe their confusion, you will end up in hell. Because you have to believe in something. And the Bible says to believe in Christ Jesus, the anointed of God, who was born on Christmas morn. He was set apart to die as the Lamb of God. You have to put your belief in something. You cannot just stand for anything or you'll fall for everything. Why is the whole world attacking Jesus? Why does every religion attack Jesus? Why can you be any other religion but a Christian unless the gospel is true? Use some simple logic. But then an amazing way is, is the only way you can be birthed and become a believer is when the Spirit of God comes and conceives the Son of God in your heart which is the real womb that God is worried about, not the physical flesh. He's going to give you a new body. So in one seven it says of Ephesians, in him we have redemption. We've been ransomed through his blood. Listen, it wasn't a cross. It was his blood. Life is in the blood. Quit worshiping a cross. It was his blood. What does his blood do? The forgiveness of sins. It's a propitiation. It's the payment, the ransom for the sins of the world. For missing the mark. It's in the blood. The cross was just the means of death. According to the riches of his grace. Again, God's riches at Christ's expense. It's all by John. Grace, God's gracious gift. Which he made to abound. He lavished it toward us in all wisdom and prudence. He is wisdom. Having made known, he reveals it to us, the mystery of his will. Do you, are you, do you know the mystery of God's will? Listen to me. This is very important. These are things that we can look at in the word of God and we can say, wait a minute. God's children have been adopted in. He gives us his spirit and he makes known the mystery of his will. If the mystery of his will is not known to me, then I need to go back and ask what's going on in my life. Because I'm being deceived by Babylon. God is not hiding anything from us. He wants it to be out in the open to his friends, to his bride. He wants us to understand it so we can become like him. And if we don't see it and it's hidden from us, we can't become like him. Spiritual eyes open up and find out what the mystery is. And he longs to reveal it to you. He longs to speak to his children, to his bride. But if we're not finding out, then there's something wrong and we're not looking for the will of God. 
and we're moving in the wrong direction if that isn't being revealed to us. We sat around and we said in awe, how come that person knows and I don't? Because you're not working on your relationship. You're still living in the flesh. And all of us do it. This is not beating people up. It's supposed to be eye-opening. All of us can do it in our lives. All of us can stumble in our lives. All of us can fall down in our lives. And if you're not, then there's something wrong with you. He's getting ready to take you. If you're not stumbling anymore, if you're not fighting anymore, if you don't have any battles anymore, and you're already perfect, you're getting ready to be with him. Listen, this greatest gift that was ever given does everything for you. And then he gives you evidence as you're reading the word of God of whether you're growing or not, whether you're going and sinning no more or not, or whether you're going to his house or you're going to the devil's house still. It's not a secret anymore if you're a child of God. The spirit of God will lead you into the truth of God and help you hear the voice of God so that you can say, I will and I do and oh, I did. So forgive me, Lord God, because I know you already died for all of my sins. So he wants to make known to you as a child your inheritance as he makes known all the mystery in his time, his way for, for his glory according to his good pleasure. Isn't that amazing? We serve a God that is pleasing to him to bruise his own son, but it's because it's pleasing to him to teach us what it looks like and to bring us back into his family and to give us a great inheritance of eternity with him. That's his pleasure. And we act like he's our enemy. He's for us. He's not against us. But everything you see in the world, it's against us. The whole world lies underneath the sway of the wicked one. Whose sway are you under? Whose will are you following? It's a written document, the will of God. So it's according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in himself. Notice he didn't purpose it with anybody else. The Lord said to my Lord, he purposed it within himself. That in the dispensation of the fullness of times, that he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth, in him, in Christ, in him also we have obtained, here it is, an inheritance being predestined according to the purpose of him. Now don't get caught up on predestination. Remember, it was before the creation of the earth. It was because of his foreknowledge. He already knew what everybody was going to do. He doesn't learn anything. You're predestined because of foreknowledge, because he knew that he, you would surrender to him and that you would desire to investigate and do an autopatea of these things and find out what the mystery of the gospel was because he longs to let us be involved. He's privileged us to be involved. Who excuse me, according to the purpose of him who works all things. How much is all? Everybody say all. Do you need a calculator? You don't need the world to make you a calculator so you can do math better. All things according to the counsel of his will. Listen, he's made it known to you and I the mystery of his will, and now everything is done according to the counsel of his will. That we should, that we who first trusted in Christ 
should be to the praise of his glory. Now here it is. This, is. this is where the crux is in 13 and 14. I want you to see it. In him, in Christ, you also trusted when? After you heard, faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. What did you hear? The word of truth. What should we tell other people? Truth. The word of truth. The gospel, that's the mystery of the gospel, the good news of your salvation, your deliverance from the sin nature and back into the house of God, in whom also, having believed, there it is, pistio, trusted your spiritual well-being into Christ, you were sealed. With the Holy Spirit of promise. With you, in you, upon you. Who is what? The guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of his glory. You are highly favored. The Holy Spirit. When you believe in God, you're highly favored. When you hear the word of truth, the Holy Spirit comes in and seals you. It's really a canning term. Like when you're preserving some, some jelly when you're preserving some green beans and you put the jar lid down and then you boil it in the water. See, because we're going through some hot water. We're going through some fire down here, but we're preserved. We're protected until the day that he breaks the seal. He's already guaranteed it. He's left us here as a light. They can see us, but they can't get to us. They can see us, but their sin can't harm us. We're like in that little jar. Sealed, guaranteed until the day. And really sealed is a stamp of a signet ring. The king. Remember in that day they would write letters and they would put a little wax on it and then they'd seal it with the king's signet ring. And if it was broken, we know somebody messed with it. We know that it was tampered with. Listen, that's why you want the Holy Spirit to teach you the mystery of the gospel, to teach you the will of God, to help you unwrap the gift of God the greatest gift ever given, you don't want man to do it. Man will have you wrapped up in yourself again doing work for them. Man will have you wrapped up in religion, chasing something that leads you to hell. You want the Holy Spirit to seal you. And it means a mark. The Holy Spirit marks you with the stamp of God. And he puts the image of Christ upon you positionally. And he comes in us. And then he wants us, you still have to agree. He's never going to force himself. The paracletus comes alongside and gives counsel in how you should live, but never forces you to do it. So he wants us to surrender daily. I die daily, Paul said. And allow him to work through you to do the will of God. In fact... Remember, we just covered this in John 6 because the gospel, the Bible always tells the same testimony. Jesus is the bread of life. And in John 6, 26, Jesus answered those people that followed him in the boat and they were still looking for physical stuff and their mind was still on their flesh and they were still wrapped up in themselves and they thought they were going to be okay if they got a little money and a few more meals and a couple cheeseburgers. And Jesus said to them, Most assuredly, I say to you, you seek me 
Not because you saw the signs, but because you ate the loaves and were filled. You wanted a physical meal. Do not work. Do not labor for the food which perishes, but for the food which endures to everlasting life, which the Son of Man will give you because God the Father has set his mark, his seal, his anointing upon him, upon Jesus. It's the same thing that he continues to tell us. Don't seek God to take care of the physical. Listen, if you seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, Matthew 6.33, he'll throw the world in. You will be content with what's going on down here because you'll have peace and rest. As you open the package, you won't think you need this or that or the other thing or some more of this or I have to go here or I have to go there. I have to, to get this done or get that done. You'll rest where God has got you at and he'll give you perfect energy, perfect power, perfect word. He gives you the perfect mystery. He gives you everything you need for life and godliness because it's all there. The discontentment is from us. It's from our flesh. It's from us ignoring him and not surrendering to him. Are you unwrapping the package? He sealed you. He put his mark upon you if you believe in him. So it's all there. The only question is, is your free will. Will you say, let it be done to me according to thy word? Now let's go back to our text. I've got some other things I want you to see. Uh, probably won't get to it, but because I'm running out of time. It would be chapter 11 of 2 Corinthians if you go there and look. Nope, you know what? Let's go there. Part of my text. I'm not, let's go there. 2 Corinthians 11. See, it, the growth of the body of Christ is the important thing because the only way the body of Christ can grow is when we surrender our flesh and die to self and get into the, the, the word of God and ask the Holy Spirit to wrap us in the quality, the character, the nature, the name, the authority of Christ. So that I might bear with you with a little folly. It's 2 Corinthians 11, 1. Oh, that you would bear with me in a little folly, Paul says to the church in Corinth. And indeed you do bear with me. For I am jealous for you with godly jealousy. For I have espoused, I have betrothed, engaged you to one husband, that I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. Listen, just as Mary was, your rebellion, when you meet God, you become a chaste virgin. You've been betrothed to one husband, Christ. But I fear... Lest somehow, as the serpent deceived Eve in his craftiness, so your minds may be... Where do, what is it? Your minds? Oh, 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 because your minds are following the wrong roadmap. It's because your mind is making the wrong decision. It's because your mind is not being renewed. So you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. It's because we're not... What Paul said in Romans 1, or 12, 1... I beseech you, I urge you, I plead with you, brethren, considering the mercy of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, because you're dead, you're bought by the blood. It's no longer your life, it's his life. Holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service, considering what he's done, considering that if you do anything else, you're going to follow death culture. 
And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Listen, here again, the craftiness, the subtlety, the false wisdom, and the earthly, central, demonic wisdom of man's religion and flesh, it, it, it stills your mind and you begin to do things that have nothing to do with the mystery of the gospel or the will of God. And that they may be corrupted. Oh, let's do it again. Verse 3, 11, 3. But I fear lest somehow as the serpent deceived, beguiled, seduced Eve by his craftiness, his subtlety, so your minds may be corrupted, led astray, destroyed, wasted from the simplicity, the singleness is the word. Listen, it's from a word that means clear, pure, See, God has given us clear conscience. He's given us purity. He's given us righteousness. And then the subtlety of the enemy takes our minds and we run off and we're corrupted from the singleness that is in Christ Jesus. What's the singleness? His face was set like flint to Jerusalem to do thy will, O God. He knew what he came for. He knew what he's supposed to be doing. He knew the will of God. The Spirit reveals to you and me the mystery of the will of God. And we should be finding it out and walking it out because he will do it through us if we just allow him to do it. You don't have to build anything. I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail, Christ said. So it's, it, it's, it's the singleness. And in verse 4 he says, for if he, come, for if he who comes preaches another Jesus whom we have not preached, or if you receive a different spirit, which you have not received, or excuse me, which you have not received, or a different gospel which you have not accepted, you may well put up with it. What are you putting up with in your life? Think about it. Think about it. Because, because you know, listen, think about it. Just in the physical sense, how many times do you say, I've had enough, I'm not putting up with it any longer? You get tired of somebody's lying and their stuff, and you go, I'm not putting up with it any longer. What about your spirit? Where you're not feeding it the bread of life. You're not laboring for the, the work of God. And we chase everything else. And I apologize for saying you're not, because it's we're not. The church is not. The bride is not. Those that are betrothed are not. We've been led astray by a different gospel that has a form of godliness that denies the power thereof. And you keep opening the package and it's empty and there's no contentment because the Spirit of God is not doing it for you. You're doing it in your physical flesh with your own intellect. What are you putting up with? in your life. Think about this though. Before you begin to say, that's right, I ain't putting up with it no more. Listen to me. What did Christ put up with with you before the fullness of time? See, because the true gospel does love, is long-suffering, does have patience, does bear all things. The true gospel does die to self and says, I'm going to be a witness no matter what. Listen, 
Listen, the big culture fight, all that physical fight that's out there, those people are underneath the sway of the wicked one. They're not your enemy. I've heard so many Christians say, I'm just not going to talk to them anymore. I'm just not going to go to them anymore. They're obviously deceived. So were you until God opened your eyes. And that's why he called us to be the grace of God. Oh, it is the grace of God. When you go and give the light of the world and the truth of the world, it's the grace of God because we're his messengers. We're just like John the Baptist. We're the grace of God going and bringing a message, making straight the way of the Lord so that they can see that Jesus is different than the message that they're getting. Jesus is different than the message they're being told. I tell people everything you thought you knew about Jesus before you got saved, just forget it because you got that from the devil. And the more you get into the Word, you'll find out how much you're wrong about who Jesus is. Because you've been given the wrong gospel. Back in our text, we see that her rebellion is a highly favored one. Listen, Christ, everybody ever born was in rebellion to God, and God's grace brings salvation to us. And we're looking at now, we're looking at verse 29, 129. But when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying. Now notice that because there's a distinct difference. Listen, distinct difference between Zacharias and Mary. Zacharias means God remembers. Mary means their rebellion. When Zach seen the angel Gabriel... What does it say? Let's look at it. Um, verse 12 says, Zacharias saw him. He was troubled and fear fell upon him. But notice what it says here in 29. She saw him. She was troubled. Doesn't say fear fell upon her. But what was she troubled at? His saying. And listen, you might get into the Word of God and you might say, I'm troubled at the saying of the Word of God. It's okay to reason with God. See, he was troubled by the sight of an angel believing that he was going to die. She was troubled and the angel's going to say to her, do not be afraid. So there's some things going on, but she was troubled about the Word. She was in the right place looking at the Word of what he was saying. Are you looking at the word of what's being said, or are you judging by sight, like Zacharias did? Listen to me. There's a difference in the way. Doesn't matter whether one was 80 and one was 13. Doesn't matter that they both had faith in God and believed God. One was trying to live by sight. The other was trying to look at the word of God to decide whether it was truly from God. This is why we always tell you it has to line up with the Word of God because then it gives you the character of God, the nature of God, the authority of God, the plan of God. Because everything that's going on here lines up with what? The prophets of God and the prophecy of God and what God has already spoken and said was going to happen. But in the culture today, we're moving away from faith and we're living by sight. We're living by what we see and the physical and we're changing the word of God by what we see. The lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the boastful pride of life. She was troubled. Why would she not be? 
She was agitated and alarmed because she's a virgin. She hasn't laid with a man. She explains it here in a minute. She was troubled at his saying, and then she considered what manner of greeting this was. It's interesting that when Jesus sent out the disciples in twos, he talked about how they greeted them. If they greeted them properly, that your peace should rest on that house. So we're supposed to be looking at the spirits, testing the spirits. What is this word they're talking about? Listen, it's not, this is not simple. Don't, do we understand that it's about our soul and that the devil wants to be with us and steal everything from us? He doesn't want us prepared as a bride. He doesn't want us to be a good witness. He wants people to look at us and say, if that's a Christian, I don't want to be one. But the truth is, none of us, none of us have anything to offer. It's all about God's promise. God remembers his promise, his oath, and brings John, brings the grace of God. How does he do? He sends a strong man, and he adds our rebellion to Jesus. Because of his oath, not because of anything we've done or can do. And then he gives us grace to believe that. Do you believe it? Not just do you believe. Do you believe that Jesus is Lord and that God raised him from the dead? So the angel, Gabriel, knowing that she was troubled... Because God knows your trouble. That's why the word of God provides everything you need for life and godliness. That's why the throne of grace is always open. That's why the counsel of the body of Christ and fellowship and all these things, God puts us together in little families. But we ignore that. And we, and we listen to the devil and we isolate and let him decimate us. And we think that it's going to get better. But it's really death culture. He's bringing us together in unity, concerned with one another, into the same family. Listen, I don't care if you are the weird uncle. I don't care if you are the crazy aunt. I don't care if you don't, aren't perfect. We all belong to the same family. If we believe in Jesus, and blood is thicker than water. The angel says to her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Now that word for favor, not the highly favored one, we're accepted in the beloved. This highly this this found favor is the word charis itself. You found grace with God. The grace of God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son, and he shall be called Jesus. Now you have to know that during that time everybody was having kids and naming them Jesus. But she's getting this announcement from an angel. There was Jesuses on every corner. There really was. Because they were all looking for the Messiah. And prophecy tells us that in 7.14 of Isaiah, the virgin uh, 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 shall bear... Oh, you know what that is in 7.14? Ahaz is not wanting to ask God for a sign because of his spiritual pride. But God's already told him that Assyria was coming to take him into um, uh, captivity. Um and God tells him to ask for a sign, but he's, he's hard-hearted. He thinks he's being spiritually uh, uh, smart, and, he, and he's being silly. And God says, ask for a sign. And he says, oh, I don't want to do that. I don't want to, I don't want to test God. 
And so God says, well, I'll give you a sign anyway. And he says in 7.14 of Isaiah, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. Literally, God with us. Listen, that's what that prophecy is about. A spiritual pride where, where, where a man would not even ask God, would not reason with God. This young girl's reasoning with God. And she's not going to be like the old dude, Zacharias, that asked for a sign. How shall I know? And she's going to be given a sign that follows her faith, which is the true way it should be done. When you're walking by faith, signs will follow. She's been, the angel tells her that the true sign for her is that, oh, you know that your Aunt Elizabeth that was barren? She's conceived in her old age. That was her sign after she had already said, be it done to me. See, an evil and perverse generation seeks after a sign, and none will be given except for Jonah. And then in 9.14 of Isaiah, let's just look again, because this is what's going on. The fulfillment of God's word, the fulfillment of prophecy, as God continues to go on, and he says... Uh, and announcing the Messiah and announcing the government that was promised from David's throne room in 2 Samuel. For unto us a child is born. Fruit. It means a boy. It means a child. It means a son. It means fruit. Are you bearing fruit? For unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given. It's the greatest gift ever given. We might even go into this verse again later. It was given. The son was born, and then he was given to us as the Lamb of God, and the government will be upon his shoulder, probably dual, probably talking about uh, all authority will be upon him, and then one day the millennial kingdom, all government will be upon him, and his name will be called. And here's his name. I believe that these are, I'm, I, I'm just a nobody, but I believe that they could be listed a little bit differently. Because I believe that you have three names here plus mighty God, El Gabor. You have the wonderful counselor, which is the Holy Spirit. You have the everlasting father, who is the one that sent Jesus and the Holy Spirit. And you have the prince of peace, which is Jesus. But they're all three El Gabor. The father. They're all three El Gabor. And what does the God look like? El Gabor, mighty God. He, he's the most powerful God, the most high God. And he is a beautiful, wonderful counselor. And he's an everlasting father. Do you know he's going to be your father forever? Forever. Earthly fathers you have for a minute. Maybe. He's going to be your, he won't leave you nor forsake you. He's going to complete the work he started in you. And then the prince of peace, the prince that brings peace, the son of God. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. It's forever eternal. Upon the throne of David and over his kingdom, to order it and establishment would establish it with judgment and justice. From that time forward, even forevermore, how's it going to be accomplished? The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform it, will do it. Have I not called you and I will also do it? Verse 32 of uh, Luke 1 tells us who this Jesus will be. 
He's going to be named Jesus. His character, his nature, his authority. God is salvation. But he will be great, Megas, and will be called the son of the highest. You know, God is the highest God, mighty God El Gabor. Jesus is the son of the highest. But if you look over in 170, I'm in big trouble. Where's it at? Seventy-six. When Zacharias, God remembers, is prophesying over his son, he says, "And you, child, John the Baptist, will be called the prophet of the highest, for you will go before the face of the Lord to prepare His ways." And so, we see the distinction. Both of them are are being birthed. One is the prophet of the highest to go before and to teach and tell others. And then the other is the son of the highest. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David. So we know he comes to that seed. Both um, Mary and Joseph do. And he will, what's he going to do? He will reign, rule over the house of Jacob, the supplanter, the deceiver. Those that are rebellious, their rebellion. He will rule over them how long? Forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. Do you guys know that you belong? If you're citizens of heaven, you belong to a kingdom that there will be no end. See, there's going to be an end to everything we know right now except for that kingdom. The fourth kingdom, the one world government is trying to come in. It's going to come in when God allows it. He's allowing it to come in to show them that, that they can't have no wisdom or counsel against him. But then after that seven years of tribulation, what's going to happen? There's going to be a millennial kingdom. And then there's going to be eternity where his rule and reign lasts forever and ever and ever and ever. And you can keep saying that forever and ever and ever. It's going to be forever and ever. And you know what they do? They mimic. They mimic God. And I know we could go long and this is okay. and We'll be here all day and you can eat a snack and leave. But Listen, we need to understand this gift that we've been given. And we need to understand the liar, what he does. He mimics God and he gets you to follow <laughs> lies. And right now, they're actually doing what happened with Joseph, the father here. Don't we have another Joseph right now? Sorry, Joseph Biden. His name is Joseph. He will add. He will add destruction. Listen, one world government. I, I, I'm sorry, I, I didn't go political on you. I'm still talking about the Bible. What happened with Joseph? His name means he will add. He goes down to Egypt. He becomes second in command. And because he knows the will of God and the mystery of God and is told, his gift was to, to interpret dreams and visions. So God had prepared him for that. Right? So he knows what's going on. So he even tells the leader what to do. Now the, now the devil, the world, these other people, they're mimicking this. What are they doing? They're creating seven years of famine. See, we've had a blessed time in this world. And we've had a great, I mean, everything's been plenteous for us. Around the world, really, there are countries that are starving, but they created that. They did that to them. Money's been given to those countries, and they keep them down and suppressed on purpose so they can go over here and present them as a product of why we need to keep doing this other thing, and they control us. But listen to me, they're recreating and mimicking what happened in that day when God told Joseph what would happen. Listen to me, 
They're the ones that are grabbing all the supply chains. They're the ones that's creating this false famine. But who are you trusting in? See, we should know the will of God. We should see what God is doing. But God's going to bring them a crazy seven years of wrath, of famine. They think they're controlling this. They're just mimicking God so that they can control the people. What did they do? They took all the possessions. Egypt, took, which is a type of world to us, and Pharaoh that was ruling over it is a type of Satan. What happened? They ended up with everything. But you know who they didn't touch? You know who they kept providing for? And God will always provide all of our needs according to his riches and glory? The Levites. They weren't touched. Their land wasn't touched. Nothing was touched. Their inheritance wasn't touched. They were protected by God during the seven years of plenty and the seven years of famine. And in fact, God even, God even used Pharaoh to bring the entire nation of Israel and keep it safe, 74 people. You don't have to fear. God's on the throne. And this will rule forever. Then their rebellion said to the angel, see, we question God's word. Do you question God's word? My rebellion will question it. Well, I already said a prayer, Lord. Then Mary said to the angel, how can this be since I do not know a man? See, she's, she's actually talking with some common sense. How am I going to conceive and bear a child when I haven't known a man? I mean, that's just common sense. How can, I mean, look, look at our, our, our uncommon sense that we're using today with all of the movement. Again, they're not our enemy. We want to keep speaking truth no matter what they say. But look at the gay marriage and look at all the things that they're bringing in that makes no sense. And if you don't believe it, they kill you. And the angel answered her, because God always answers. There's always an answer for, the, for, for your questions. And said to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. Epi. Epi. It's the same thing that Acts 1.8 says. When they're asking questions of God, and he says, times and seasons that God has are not for you to know, but, when the, but the Holy Spirit will come upon you with power. You shall receive power. When the Holy Spirit comes upon you to be witnesses for me. Same word throughout Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the uttermost parts of the earth. The Holy Spirit will come epi upon you and the power of the highest. He's the son of the highest. John's the prophet of the highest. Will overshadow you. I'm looking for overshadow. Again, it's the same word again. Epi. Epi. What happened in the, in the wilderness? There was a cloud by day, fire by night. The Holy Spirit, God, was protecting them, overshadowing. Therefore also the Holy One who is to be born, conceived, birthed, will be called the Son of God, Son of the Highest. And then she didn't ask for a sign, but one is given here in 36. Indeed, his oath, your relative, has conceived. Elizabeth, your relative, has conceived. Your kin, a son, in her old age. And this is now the sixth month for her who was called barren, fruitless. 
Listen, you know what? Somebody might call you barren. Somebody might say you're fruitless. Somebody might say you've been a Christian for a long time and you're not bearing any fruit. Are you sure you believe in God? How come your life isn't changing? How come you're not growing and going? How come you don't have a growing testimony? But you don't have to stay there. This Christmas season, today, with one prayer, you can actually surrender to God and allow the Holy Spirit to bear fruit in your life. Happened with Elizabeth. Physically, spiritually, eternally. For with God, nothing will be impossible. Nothing. Now listen to me, and this is why we need to know the Word of God and see that prophecy is being fulfilled and see that the Word of God is always the same. It never changes. See, because somebody will inevitably say, well, can God create a rock so big that he can't pick it up? Will it be impossible for him to pick it up? Yeah, and then he will. But listen to me. My point being is, is that the things that we're talking about by possible are things that he's always done. It's, it lines up with his character. It lines up with his nature. It lines up with his word when it says nothing will be impossible. In practicality, if you think about it, everything is possible with God. But he's not doing things that he isn't lined up with his character. So you don't have to go, yeah, but look what he's doing. And, this, and the Bible says that nothing's impossible with God. So really, he could be dropping gold from the ceiling over here. He could be putting gold fillings in people's teeth over there. Well, it doesn't line up with his character. It's not what he's doing. And you have to be careful not to be bewitched from the simplicity of the gospel. Because there's a lot of stuff going on out there that you see and it's by sight and you want to follow it because the water's moving, but it has nothing to do with faith in the word of God, the character of God, the, the mystery of God, and what the spirit of God is showing us is going on in the harvest for souls for such a time as this. So be careful taking words out of context. Then their rebellion said, oh, Mary said, yeah, did I tell you that comes from Miriam, it comes from Mara. Did I tell you this, that Miriam is who? <clears throat> Moses' sister. <coughs> Listen, so the law came from God through Moses, or excuse me, from Moses to <laughs> that was really goofy. The law came from God through Moses. Salvation came from God through Mary. Both of them, Miriam. Both of them, their rebellion. Both of them, there because of rebellion. But the law was just a cover, a kofar. And it just kept us in line. It was a schoolmarm until... The true Messiah came, and God took away the sins of the world and smiled upon us and said, highly favored one. So what does Mary say? What should you and I answer? What do we close this with as we're seeing it? If we believe God, not just if we believe, I believe. Craziest statement on the planet. If you believe God, and the work that he wants to do, that he has called you, he's predestined you, 
He has given you the greatest gift ever given through his grace. And that he will overshadow you. He will come into you. He will put his spirit in you. And he will give you everything you need for life and godliness. To birth fruit in your life. Fruit of love. Because God is love. I'm thinking of a familiar church that I know that has on the front of their church, love is love. And I'm like, are you insane? The Bible clearly says, listen, once you get it's the word of God. Because you can look at that statement in your flesh, in your, maybe even as a Christian, and go, well, that's a pretty good statement. Love is love. But now you can make love anything. See, the Bible clearly tells us that God's character, God himself is love. So you can't change the word of God and say, now love is love. Because now you've changed who God is. And now God can be anybody. And it happened to be a Unitarian Universalist church, which will let everybody come in the door and talk about God, except for a Christian that knows God. That's why they have love is love. Because love is fluid, just like gender. It's all fluid. It's all moving. And then you can just believe whatever you want, as long as you don't believe that Jesus is Lord and God raised him from the dead. But listen, here it is, made servant of the Lord. Let it be done to me according to what I want to do, what I feel like doing. Let it be done to me according to what my church bylaws say. Let it be done to me according to what my job allows me to do while I'm working. Let it be done to me according to the Constitution of America. Let it be done to me. Whose will are you under? Whose word are you under? Whose ways are you following? Who died for you and rose again? Listen, she says clearly as a small child. By faith, she says, behold, the maidservant. She knows she's a servant of the Lord, kurios, supreme in authority. Let it be done to me according to... To your word. After the manner of your word. So therefore you need to know what God's word says about you. The word, the word for maidservant is dulo dulos. It's double dulos. A doulos is a voluntary servant of the Lord because you've seen the goodness and the grace of God and you choose to voluntarily follow God because you know his word is best. I mean, he remembered his oath and brought grace. Have you been saved by grace through faith and that not of yourself that is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast? If you have, then you're his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works that you should walk in them. Don't keep laboring for this world. Labor for God. Become a witness for God. Become the grace of God or John the baptizer in somebody else's life that is making straight the way of the Lord for them because they're following crooked paths. They're following this crooked, corrupted world that's underneath the sway of the wicked one. They're not your enemy. They have no idea that they're wrong, just like you were and I were before we come to salvation. We thought we were okay. We were following the American dream. We were taking care of our kids. We were working. Or your <coughs> testimony could be as bad as mine. 
And then we were called out, the called out ones, the ecclesia, the church, to go tell others, to be a voice in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord. Have you unwrapped this gift? How long have you been hanging on to the gift, sitting with the gift, got it in the seat next to you? The greatest gift ever given. God wrapped in flesh. <clears throat> God who hung on a tree and decorated that tree. Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. Wasn't gifts under the tree. It was the gift of God that hung on a tree for us. That's the example we're supposed to follow. I don't have any problem with giving gifts and celebrating Christ as Mass. Isn't that interesting there in itself? They call it Christmas. They, they took the cross out of it. Took the blood out of it. Chris, who's a Chris guy, as everybody always says. It's Christ. Have you received him? Do you believe in him? Have you said to him, let it be done to me according to your word? Because that's what it's all about, his word. God sent his word to heal the land. Stop trying to use everything else to heal your heart and your soul. Be content with what God has given you. Be content where you're at. Stop blaming everybody else. And surrender to God. And know that he's using everybody else as a scalpel to cut away at you. And to shape you into the part of the body you're supposed to be. Father, thank you for the greatest gift ever given. Your son, Jesus. You with us wrapped in flesh your word spoken the ancient of days wisdom beyond what we can even comprehend mystery that was hidden for ages but has now been revealed and you allow us to be privileged to be involved forgive us for being so selfish Lord that all we're concerned about is ourselves all we're wrapped in is, in is our own flesh and our own desires. Lord, we ask you to use your Holy Spirit to unwrap us and rewrap us and send us to others with the message of the gospel for your glory for such a time as this. In Jesus' name, amen. The Lord bless you. And that concludes today's message on Who Am I? with Pastor Greg Tyra of Harvest Chapel in Williamsport, Indiana. If you're in the area, we would love to have you as our guest. Harvest Chapel is located at 418 Old State Road 28, Williamsport, Indiana 47993. We meet for worship on Sundays at 10 a.m. Our prayer meetings meet Wednesdays at 6.30 p.m. Our Bible study meets on Friday at 7 p.m. Today's and previous messages are available on CD. If you would like a copy, please call 765-404-7203. We look forward to seeing you again next time on Who Am I? Who am I?
Cause I